Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss the technical and people side of safety. Safety should be your primary leadership tool for discovering more about your people and culture. Your host is Dr. Mark French, also known as the Safety Dude. Mark is a credentialed, experienced, and passionate professional with experience in automotive, food, chemical, nuclear, e-commerce, and energy sectors. He is going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety based on industrial and organizational psychological theories. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in people management and how they impact our everyday workplace. And welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Hey, I am your host, Mark, and I am so happy you've joined me. Welcome to this episode. Uh, really excited about uh, carrying through. Not as, as fantastic as episode 100 last week. Hope you enjoyed that if you have a chance to. It was extra long. It was a lot of uh, personal things, personal anecdotes, personal stories. And I hope you enjoyed that journey through time. This week, I wanted to take some time and talk about, I guess you could think of it as the savior of our existence, the bane of our existence, the sinner, the saint, the the yin, the yang. Everybody has their opinion about it, and it can be very polarizing depending on who you're talking to. Some see it as the greatest thing that has been created for safety since sliced bread, and some see it as that it has done nothing except create problems for the safety process. And of course, you know me, if you've listened at all, I'm going to take a middle ground, but I'm going to take the middle ground because I'm going to explain why. That everybody loves the simple answer, and I'm, I'm actually going to get to my point here in a minute. Everybody loves a simple answer. And I remember listening to a podcast, uh, Freakonomics, if you've read that book or follow any of their items, really interesting. And they were talking about some of their research that everybody looks for the silver bullet approach. We all want the easy. We want the one that is, give me one answer that's going to be the breakthrough of my business. Give me the, the one item, the one action that we're going to take today to make sure that everything goes better, that we're going to improve everything through one action. When the truth is, it's all pieces, and some of it can't be even recognized. It can't be measured, and that multivariate answer, that multivariate conclusion versus the what I like to call that silver bullet approach, where you can take the one thing, you use it, and it works every time, it works flawlessly, and it gets everything done. That's not the way it works. We have to think of people as truly, and, and this is, I'm not being sarcastic or weird or maybe weird, but not sarcastic, that people are the most complex thing in our businesses. I understand payroll. I understand the equipment. I understand the process flow. People are much more than just the work they do. 
they bring in all the good and all the bad from outside. They bring it all to us when they do it. And it makes them great. It makes them vulnerable. It makes them innovative. And we discount how complex that is. So when we're talking about working with people and safety is people, there's no if, hands or any other way around that. Safety is people. When we're talking about people, it is truly something the most complex that we have. There will never be that silver bullet approach when we're talking about people. This is the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So what am I talking about? As you probably guessed, it's behavior-based safety. It is a newer tool that came out recently. I mean, I say recent. In the scope of safety, it's new. It's been around a while, though. A lot of people can quote it. A lot of people can quote the pillars of some of the famous uh, behavior-based safety systems that are out there. They can quote that, and they know the pillars, and they use those pillars. And what led me to this is I read a blog of a news article of an interview. So a roundabout way. So I'm not going to really post any of that. But what got me was the person's commentary of they were talking about a company that had done a lot for safety. They had made a lot of improvements. But the person, when they were talking about the improvements that they had made in safety, they only mentioned basically the pillars of this famous safety behavior-based system. They did not go into all the hard work that went into preventing injuries. They went into the behavior-based safety system that they were using, and they quoted word for word. The reason we've had success is we have avoided one, two, three, four. We've done these things, and it was a regurgitation. I mean, straight-on regurgitation of one of these very large, very famous, very profitable behavior-based safety systems. And there has always been the fundamental argument of behavior-based safety is that it puts the blame on the worker. And that has become so true in, in the way we process it. There is good and there is bad in behavior-based safety. So let, let's start with the bad. I want to start there and then I want to move into the good. So the bad is exactly that. It does put the blame on the worker. I was in an interview for an organization. I did not join this organization, but I was in an interview and they were asking me your typical questions. Tell me about conflict. Tell me how you handled this situation. Your, your, your typical star format questions. And someone threw at me, operations person, threw at me, well, according to research, 97 to 99% of accidents are behavior related. What is it that you would do about that? And of course I look and I go, well, if the hazard didn't exist in the first place, the person couldn't engage the behavior with it. And that's the part of that statistic they don't tell you. Yeah, of course there's a, the only time a behavior is not involved is almost the pure, like, out of nowhere, no one ever could have predicted this was going to happen and someone got hurt. Like, it, I didn't engage it. I just happened to be proverbial comet coming out of outer space and striking me in the top of the head. Well, that definitely wasn't behavior related, but it was an accident. 
Of course, accidents are behavior-related because there was an hazard that someone engaged. The real key is, did they mean to engage it? Did they know how to avoid it? Did they understand the process for reporting it? And in number one, number one important issue to remember is if they had reported it, would the company have fixed it? Would it have been corrected? Or even better, was there a system in the company to catch it and fix it ahead of time? We can't find and fix everything immediately. That's where if something breaks, we need reporting. But this is where it has created such great confusion and it's created this rally cry of what I'll call emotionally unintelligent supervisors and leaders. That they, that they, the only, now again, this is bigger than just this one view, that they only focus on behavior-based safety. They only focus on you made a bad decision. Therefore, we will name, blame, retrain. And I heard that from one of my, uh, when I was doing research, someone told me that and it was blew my mind because it was like so true. That's, that's how things work, unfortunately. And so we cannot get into the mindset of us thinking that we can just simply point out that, well, you shouldn't have done that. Naughty. Now, there is the other side of it, and there's parts of where behavior-based safety can be a very enhancive part of a program only, though, only after other things have been done, only after there is a decent safety climate that has been created in that organization. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that positive part of what we can use this for after the break. DSDA Consulting. Learn you. Lead others. The Myers-Briggs Type Indicator is an amazing tool. Problem is that it can be easily misinterpreted. Dr. Mark French is MBTI certified and ready to help you discover your inner strengths. The MBTI assessment can help with team building, stress management, communication, conflict management, and so much more. Individual and group sessions are available to help you discover what makes you great. For more information, visit us on the web at tsdaconsulting.com. And welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, I'm Mark, and I'm happy you're with me. We're talking this week about behavior-based safety. And right before the break, I kind of went into the idea of how behavior-based safety creates that attitude in people who don't understand it that it's just blame someone. We blame the worker or we blame the injured person for what happened, and we move on, and we pat ourselves on the back for doing that. The truth is, behavior-based safety has a place, but it's well later in the system that we create for safety. Step one for safety. Step one is we have to mitigate the hazards. We have to see, one, where are people getting hurt? Let's go there first. Let's prevent harm. And not through telling people just don't get hurt. We are involving people in what do we need so that you don't get hurt. That's engagement. That's empathy. That's getting to know your team. Walking up and saying, it's broken. How do we fix it together? What is it that we need to invest in to fix this? How quick can we do it? Is there a short-term? Is there a long-term measure? 
if your system, if you have the ability to track for, if you have a facility, if you actually ran a brick and mortar plant facility, are you tracking safety work orders? That is one of the most powerful metrics that I have seen in a proactive safety approach. Because if someone puts in a work order for something to be fixed because of safety, are we prioritizing it? Are we putting funding behind it? Are we making sure that it gets put to the top of the list? First, we have to fix the hazards. When I have seen a culture in safety that is broken, the first olive branch that we extend is the one that says, I know things are wrong. What do we fix? Is it that this valve is leaking? Is it this machine guarding is broken? Is it that this machine needs improvement of some form? Is it that there's still a hole in the floor where a brick fell out? What is it that we need to fix? We build that trust. We build that ability to communicate and to see that the company is willing to offer that trust as part of what we're doing. We're willing to jump out there and say, hey, we know it's wrong. We're here to fix it. And let's go back to the Paul O'Neill days of Alcoa. That's what he did. He essentially started with the premise of saying, we will fix every safety issue. Bring them to me. They will be fixed. There's no more excuses. What's right is right. We fix it. So we evolve from there. Once we are have that culture and that commitment to fixing the items that are out there, to getting the right equipment, to fixing the things that are around there, to getting the equipment where it should be, to where it's safe for people to use, then there is the expectation that they use it the appropriate way, that they don't disassemble it or that they don't reach their hand into it thinking that they should. Now, usually there is an underlying current there of a reason why they're bypassing it. We have to understand that and we have to fix it uh, and, and re-encourage them that that's not the way we're going to do it. And if there's a supervisor who told them to do it that way, there's some coaching opportunities. To, to take care of that, but understand that the behavior part of it, that idea of the commitment to work safe only comes when there's a safe environment. And that's putting the cart before the horse. If you tell someone to work safe, but it's a very unsafe place to be that there's no protections, no means of doing it the right way. Then the carts before the horse, you can't pretend that you're working safe when there are no safety precautions, especially the, the bare minimum of meeting the extent of the law. But when it comes to behavior-based safety, once you've established that level of trust and you've sustained it, then you can talk about the idea of doing some walk-arounds, of helping each other. Hey, did you notice that your piece of equipment needs work? Or I noticed that you keep taking that guard off. We shouldn't do that. Let's escalate it because the escalation process will work. That's where it's valuable. That's where it's interesting about, hey, I noticed you're not wearing the right gloves or those gloves are not the ones we need to wear as that extra layer of protection. Why? And maybe coming from peer to peer, it makes more sense because then hopefully that peer can say, hey, we do have an escalation process. It's I know how to use it or I know so-and-so that can help me use it and it's going to work because it does work and we use it all the time. So that's part of it. I uh, have to think about the idea that we need each other. We need to look out for each other 
because you can't be in your mindset all the time, but is that the 100% option? No, it's like the 10% option, like 90%, not more than that. 90 plus percent is good practices that are built in engineering substitution, you know, the hierarchy of controls. Then at the end, you know, if I forget to put my gloves on, I really appreciate it when someone mentions to me, Hey, don't forget your gloves. Or if I walk into my area and I just don't happen to see that maybe something is not the way it should be. And someone else says, Hey, by the way, did you notice that's not where it should be or it's broken? Oh, wow. Thank you for seeing that. That's where it adds that extra layer of value because what it's helping to do is generate more findings that the organization can fix. It's not about blaming. It's about fixing. And if it ever comes to the point where it, it sounds like that we're blaming or it sounds like we're telling someone there's a breakdown, We can't do that. We're not going to do that in this organization. We want you to work safe. And I've had some of those conversations where it blew my mind that the escalation was working, everything was where it should be, and yet somehow we were still beyond that. And we need each other encouraging each other to follow those practices, to make sure that everything is where it should be. Hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I know I have because it takes that deeper level of what we're looking for in safety. Hey, by the way, I hope I fixed my YouTube issue to where this will actually be on YouTube if you want to watch the podcast. I hope it's working this time. Uh, It should be. Hey, also, need some leadership help? I can do that. TSDAConsulting.com. Of course, all my socials are there. Check it out. I would love for that to happen and we us for to connect at a, a whole different level. Thanks for joining me. Until next time we chat. I hope you'll... Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the online conversation at www.markafrench.com. All opinions expressed on the podcast are solely attributed to the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.